Hi, and welcome back to the Forget the Wine podcast, Reclaiming the Book Club. Remember when book clubs were actually about books? Madeline and I were tired of the book club being portrayed as a thinly veiled ladies wine night in popular culture, so we decided to fight this bastardization ourselves. Join us as we examine and interpret modern novels. And okay, if you want to drink a glass of wine while you listen, we won't judge you. Well, we won't audibly judge you. Hey everybody, this is Madeline coming to you from France, from Fitu. And I'm currently here with uh, on a workaway project with two other couples. Um, one is from Sicily and one is from Uruguay. So um, I felt very immersed in the relational side of things, which put me in a mood, great mood to talk about an American marriage. Um, although luckily there wasn't the same level of <laughs> intensity that we will soon be discussing in this novel. Yeah, and uh, this is Laura. I'm still coming to you from Minnesota, um, but I think intense is the perfect word to describe this book. It took me about five times longer to read this book than my average speed, um, and that's just because it was so emotionally heavy that I literally had to put it down and, and take breaks because I just felt suffocated by it. So I really enjoyed it, but it was not an easy, breezy Oprah book club read that I'm used to so yeah should I start with a synopsis and then we can um, kind of get into a deeper discussion that sounds great okay so I'm taking my synopsis from the Boston Globe and as always our discussion will uh, be a full discussion of the book and so will contain spoilers so the couple at the center of our novel Roy and Celestial are a successful couple making their way in Atlanta. He's a sales rep, young, hungry, and on the come up. She's an artist, intense and gorgeous. But even before the night that their life changes, there's a tension that hovers over all possibility in the air, a constant thrumming reminder that one's own destiny isn't always within his control. Home isn't where you land. Home is where you launch, Roy says. You can't pick your home any more than you choose your family. Roy comes from humble beginnings, while his wife, quote, wears her pedigree like the gloss on a patent leather shoe. Just 18 months into their marriage, while visiting his parents in small town Louisiana, Roy is accused of a rape he didn't commit, and he's sentenced to 12 years in prison. Though Celestial never doubts his innocence, their bond phrase as her life rolls on and his is thwarted. Her career thrives. He resents it. She finds solace in Andre, a lifelong friend. Roy's mother dies. Not long after, three years into his sentence, Celestial tells him the marriage is over. Uh, the 50 pages that details Roy's incarceration are told through letters which beautifully illustrate the distance between husband and wife and all that goes unsaid. After five years in prison, Roy's conviction is vacated, and he's once again a free man. Unaware that Celestial and Andre are now a couple, the final two-thirds of the book concern Roy's homecoming. Jones, the author, is at the po height of her powers as she depicts him leaving jail, greeted only by his father and visiting his mother's grave, well aware that he never got to say a proper goodbye. That is our synopsis. Uh, do you want to jump into a discussion of kind of what you thought, what some of the major themes were? Yeah, I'd love to jump right into a discussion. And I know exactly what you mean by this book being very, not necessarily difficult to read, but um, it was a very rich 
read for me as well. I don't think I had the same sort of emotional suffocation that you seem to feel, but I felt as if every moment of dialogue, every time that we get to hear from Roy and every time we hear from Celestial, it's there's so many rich observations and the writing is so succinct and um, the characters are drawn so deeply. We really get to know who they are, their backstory, what they're feeling and what they're thinking about. So for me, it was very, me, a little bit longer to get to process because I felt like every sentence I was reading was informational and beneficial, which was really wonderful. But at the same time, I was able to get through this book really quickly because I wanted to know what was coming next. She was able to keep up such a momentum with the tension between Roy and Celestial's relationship and the sort of mystery and premonition that we start with in the beginning with their early marriage culminating through the outcome of the trial and and then how what's going to happen what what is what will become of their relationship so um yeah I thought a lot of her her writing itself was very uh I felt like I was eating like a really good sort of like chocolate cake like a really rich dessert as I was reading it but I wanted to savor it as I went yeah, and I think you really hit on something that stuck out um, for me about this book is that the tension is driven by Roy and Celestial's relationship. Reading the log line for this book, which is like, Roy and Celestial's marriage is rocked as Roy is falsely accused of rape. Mm-hmm. My expectation for the book was that it was going to be kind of a legal drama. It was really going to focus on the details of the case against Roy and how we know he's innocent and the details of how that is litigated. And it really doesn't at all. I always just pictured a courtroom drama when you hear about someone being wrongly accused and then the yeah. like the victory of the piece being when they're vindicated and shown to be innocent. Um, but, but her writing is so uninterested in the details of the crime. Really all we know is that Roy didn't do it and that is the end of it. We know that a woman in a hotel was raped and it wasn't Roy and it does not go mm-hmm. into any more detail than that. And Mm -hmm. I felt really part of the story because of that, because we're Mm -hmm. so helpless. We don't need any more information because there's nothing we, surrogates for Roy, can do about it. He knows Mm -hmm. he's innocent. We know he's innocent, and it doesn't matter a damn bit. He's still in jail. Um, Yeah. Even even when Celestial's uncle finally does get Roy acquitted, the details are totally glossed over. We don't know um, you know yeah. exactly how that happened. It is not a legal thriller at all. And that really made yeah. me relate to Roy's feeling of helplessness. It's like that presumption mm-hmm. that he is guilty is just a pill that we have to swallow as readers without analyzing it or fighting it. And I think that's part of what made it such a stressful read for me. Yeah. And it's really interesting because um, I picked up this book really with no um, idea what it was about about besides the fact I assumed it was about a marriage um but um yeah a lot of times in in her interviews the author is asked about the starting scene of wrongful incarceration that um presumably began with and one quote I found from her speaking about it was that wrongful incarceration and it didn't spark me as an 
an artist. And I think it's because when it comes to issues like wrongful incarceration, there's only one side, no other side to it. It's just wrong. Um, and she said for a novel to support that, you need ambiguity, you need adventure. So really, uh, it was interesting to me that this novel was sparked by uh, a conversation she overheard in a mall. I don't know if you saw any of that story as you were researching, yeah. but basically, yeah, in Atlanta, she was at a mall and she overheard this she saw this couple, this really well-dressed, beautiful woman who was talking to sort of um, like run-down, sort, sort of jaded man. And she said something about, well, Roy, you wouldn't have waited seven years for me. And he said, this wouldn't have happened to you. So it was really, I love that she brings up this inspiration for the story and how she really started with like the mystery of these characters. And um, I think that's where the heart of the novel comes from is how we get to know them. And not only like these really beautiful, complex, gray themes, like there's no necessarily right or wrong. They are very ambiguous. And from the characters themselves just really made this book for me. Yeah, I totally agree. And I guess we can talk a little bit is, is the book is written from three perspectives. So we get passages from Roy, uh, letters from Roy to Celestial, passages from Celestial, and letters from Celestial to Roy while he's in prison. And then Andre, Celestial's childhood best friend, and mm -hmm. who ends up becoming her lover and her fiancé when Roy is in prison. We get sections from him as well. And I wonder how having three perspectives affected the way that you empathized with the characters, or if you thought one voice was stronger than another? Yeah, I think my perception may have been um, affected by the fact that I listened to the audiobook, and, and there were two different narrators, one for Celestial's perspective and one for Roy's and Andre's. And the man who read for Roy was so engaging and strong and like very passionate so whenever I heard his sections I was immediately drawn in like he just did such a great job with the tone um and really captured it um whereas Celestial's reader was still great but I didn't have the same connection with her um so I think that's why I felt the most um drawn to Roy and his tone and his story um, and, and for a second, I had to go back and double check. I was like, I thought this was a female author. I thought I read, I, you know, I thought this was a woman who wrote this, but the male voice was so strong in it. And whereas like Celestial, I think, was more toned down and we find out little tidbits and bits. she's more reserved with what she shares with Roy and therefore what she shares with us. So I think that I was more pulled into Roy's side of the narrative. And then I know you had some perspective on our third narrator, who is Andre, um, as well, and whether or not he really added something to the structure of the novel, hearing from his point of view. Yeah, I'll just start by saying this was a five-star read for me. There is enough to redeem these nitpicks that I'm going to say, but... Andre's perspective was entirely superfluous for me here. I, I did not understand what having passages from Andre added um, at all. I, I really didn't sympathize with him. I understand that he didn't do anything wrong, but I thought that 
Celestial and Roy and their relationship was such a strong center and grounding point for this novel to have that any time mm-hmm. that we weren't with them and any pages and space that we were wasting with somebody else, <laughs> um, yeah. I just didn't need. And I thought Andre has such strong direct ties to both Celestial being, you know, her fiance and Roy. Mm-hmm. He's this kind of figure who was a friend for so many years and an ally, but then someone who he feels stole his wife from out from from under him while he was in prison I thought we could learn enough about Andre through Celestial and Roy's perspectives Um, and I totally agree with you is Roy whenever Roy is speaking or writing those are easily the strongest passages in the book he has such passion he's such a beautifully drawn character he was heartbreaking to read for me yeah yeah and I wonder if so I know part of Jones's process was she started writing from Celestial's point of view but she thought it came across as I think like too conventional or or no um like too cold like people would have already chosen to be on Roy's side um, because based on the premise of like she left her husband while he was incarcerated basically. So then when she started writing from Roy's perspective as an innocent man behind bars she felt um, that it added something more to the story and when you add, she, and then she sort of expanded it to all the points of view. Um, so for me, I thought there might have been something missing without Andre's perspective because really he does have a huge effect on their marriage. And I I agree, like I wasn't as <laughs> compelled by his portions. Like I, I, and maybe that's because Roy was such a strong character for me and his voice was so clear. But we hear a lot from Andre about his father and his own upbringing and, um, how he was abandoned by his own father, which um, parenthood seems to be a big theme in this book, Um, both like how Roy and Celestial's parents shaped them and affected their marriage and how they exist in a relationship together and also like the concept of them becoming parents. Um, So I thought Andre added to that theme um, and also just to the the sort of ambiguity uh, and um, the side of that Celestial has for the reasons she has for leaving Roy while he's in prison. Um, Because I thought Andre was a more, to be honest, a more sympathetic character than Celestial was um, because he talks about having loved her since they were children and he didn't mean to take advantage of the situation, but, um, but he'd always loved Celestial. And when, so she, when she reached out to him, he was receptive to it. Um, so I thought that without Andre's perspective, it might have been more, it would have been less balanced and we would have been really on Roy's side. When really it was meant to be more of like, no one is right and no one is wrong. Or maybe everyone is wrong. I don't know. <laughs> That's so interesting that you say that um, because I think that Andre's like longtime love for Celestial and her only coming around to him after she'd been through this horrible ordeal and, and lost her husband to the prison system really gave mm-hmm. me the impression and Andre's lack of character development for me was mm-hmm. that Andre was just there. He was mm-hmm. easy. Even Celestial's parents told her growing up like, 
don't forget about Andre. He's there. He wouldn't be a bad husband for you. Like, he's just the easy choice. He's not complicated. Um, he loves her. And it bummed me out. It really felt like a settling because she couldn't have Roy because he was in prison. Um, and so it made their relationship harder to swallow for me. If, if she had moved on to a relationship where I felt like there was real love and passion, that might have been um, an easier pill for me to swallow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess, and it's been a, a little bit since I read it, but I recall, for me, Celestial seemed to be, just in general, like, she seemed to have a, a passion for Roy, but she was really careful with her feelings in general, so I can see how, like, Andre's side was a lot stronger, um, but um, there was one quote that, um, yeah, that was it from Celestial's point of view, her aunt told her uh, to Celestial, since I was very small, I have embraced my appetites. You always run towards what you want. And she tells her, you're just like your father, brilliant but impulsive and just a tiny bit selfish. But more women should be selfish or the world will trample you. So she has, like Celestial has this experience where she falls in love with a professor in college and gets really badly burnt. Um, by that relationship and I think like since then she still does like go for what she wants and advocate for herself but she's more um, she plays her cards very close to her chest so I think we don't necessarily get insight on how she feels about Andre because that's just the kind of narrator and personality that she had because um, honestly I I could tell that she loved Roy but we hear, I think it was the same with their relationship. We heard a lot of the passion from his side. Um, but I don't know. Do you disagree? No, I don't. You're right. Roy as a narrator totally lays himself bare. Um, and for me, that made him easy to relate to. And, and that made me feel his passion. And you're right. Celestial is, is much more reserved. And I don't think it's a fault of the writing on Celestial's part at all. I, I mm-hmm. um I think it makes sense that she holds back a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I think it really is true to her char- to the character that Jones created with Celestial. Um, yeah, so we talked a little bit about the theme of wrongful incarceration, um, and we started to touch on, on the theme of parenthood in this novel, but I um, was curious to hear what other uh, takeaways you had from that theme. From the theme of parenthood. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think one of the most affecting parts of the novel for me was early in Roy's incarceration, uh, Celestial finds out that she is pregnant. Um, and we, and she decides to have an, she and Roy decide that she needs to have an abortion because he's in prison and won't be able to father the child. And there's a number of letters going back and forth between them where you kind of hear their regret um, Mm -hmm. for having the abortion. And I don't think that they're really expressing regret um, for the choice they made, but rather they're mourning the life together that they could have had if he wasn't in prison. Um, Mm -hmm. And so after Roy asks her if she's having any second thoughts and wishes she hadn't uh, terminated the pregnancy Celestial says, when I told you I was pregnant, it wasn't good news, not in the way it should have been. I had hoped the idea would stir you, bring you back to this life. 
You did come back, but only to moan into your tight fists. Remember your own words. You can't have it. Not like this. This is what you said to Mm -hmm. me. Your grip on my wrist so tight my fingers tingled. You can't tell me that you didn't mean what you said. Um, That passage was just super affecting to me. I thought that you Mm -hmm. could hear their pain, um, their regret, their history and their relationship. And just um, like a lot of a lot of the reviews I read was comparing this to the poem a dream deferred because that's kind of like the theme that it comes back to all the time it's like you have this dream that you're ready for and and life and the system gets in the way and that's really what it felt like to me is just the loss of a dream the loss of a life together here do i still have you hello can you hear me yes okay well (laughs) i was going to add that loss was very apparent, um, especially with the premise of like how of their background, their college educations, and um, like the up and coming artist that Celestial is. How Roy is really working to make it in Atlanta, and um, and they are ready to be like the next generation and and to carry on that momentum. Like there was one. Pre- um, passage that stuck out to me about parenthood which was um celestial is talking i forget she was at some i think some sort of charity event and t- talking to another co-worker there and he says to her have a baby and save the race he was smiling but he wasn't kidding if girls like this are having kids um i think they were single mothers and girls like you are fancy free what's going to happen to us as a people without thinking i promise to do my part so that was really telling to me is that I almost made me wonder is Celestial, does she want to be a mother? Does she want to be a parent? Or does she feel this like deep responsibility to have a child under the right circumstances and with the right, um, as the right sort of mother? Um, and yeah, it kind of comes back to like what you're saying in their conversation where he says, not like this. Um, so that was, that whole concept of like being a not necessarily being a good or a bad parent for but having a child in the right way um was a theme that kept coming up and then for um for them celestial has like a very successful parents they they are both in successful careers whereas roy's parents are um they are his biological mother and his the father he grew up with care about him very deeply and he's named after his his father um, but as it turns out he has a different biological father um, and that seemed to, that element of like fatherhood seems to be uh, a really big theme as well um, yeah so I was curious to hear I'll talk a little bit about Walter actually because he was one of my favorite characters oh really um, so yeah, we can yeah. back up and just give context is that Roy always grew up with Big Roy, who um, was not his biological father, but took him as his own and raised him as his own from the age of like two on, I think. And he had mm-hmm. always known from his mother that his biological father had walked out um, on them. And Roy, in the first few months of his incarceration, makes a friend in prison who he writes letters for because he's educated. Um, 
and come to find out the friend is his biological father, Walter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and at first when when I when that revelation was made, I was like, "Oh, that seems a little convenient." But um but I really liked how it added to the narrative. Um cuz initially Roy calls Walter um I think the ghetto Yoda. Um, because he always has these sort of wise pieces of information. Um, but then as it turns out, he's really giving Roy like father, quote unquote, fatherly advice, um, and becomes a real like mentor to him in prison. Um, and this, this, but at the same time, Roy is very true to, to old Roy, to his father who raised him and still, is a bit disdainful of Walter for the way that he left his mother and seemed, I think he had lots of different children and, and was always sort of leaving women in trouble. Um, but yeah, I just, I just found their relationship really interesting and different and um, how it was really interesting to hear how Roy sort of not necessarily came to terms with it, but worked with this, father figure in in his wrongful incarceration as he was going through this really traumatic um experience yeah i thought uh, i i had multiple thoughts about it i thought part of it was nice because it really illustrated i think roy thought he's very obsessed with like lineage where he comes from Mm -hmm. the class of his family and um he's very insistent that he's educated he was on the come up he was going to make more of his life and I felt like he thought in some ways he had sort of escaped his path in life based on his biological father's life like I felt like he kind of wanted to forget that way of life he said oh I would never end up in prison and the system um, through no fault of his own, he ended back mm-hmm. right back where his own father was, um, yeah. you know, regardless of how perfectly and cleanly he lived his life. So I did like that aspect of it. Um, I, I didn't, I, I liked their relationship. It was pleasant to read about, but it took away a little bit. For, it made prison, the sections of prison with, ghetto Yoda and Roy feel a little bit like summer camp and I felt like some of the other parts uh that the author wrote about prison were like so deeply mm-hmm. painful and like just these yeah. describing these small moments like one that really stood out for me is that Roy went through this whole series of trades so that he could purchase a piece of fruit um, mm-hmm. because he, all he just wanted was, I think it was like a pear, um, because he hadn't had any fresh fruit and he ended up trading a trash bag to a guy for the fruit and come to find out the man wanted the trash bag so he could hang himself. Um, mm-hmm. and Roy felt like an immense amount of guilt about that. And mm-hmm. it was just kind of this beautiful, elegant distillation of what a dark, and scary place prison is that we try to rehabilitate people in. Um, And and I thought that that was really powerful and giving Roy like an ally in prison who teaches him the ropes and makes sure he doesn't get in any fights and protects him kind of took away from some of that ugliness and darkness that was so well described in other passages. 
Yeah, I I completely agree that her depiction of prison was really artful and it wasn't it wasn't like overbearing or didactic or um yeah, kind of over the top dramatic. It was really poignant and um yeah, and and yeah, deeply penetrating I think with the sort of chilling element to that um, and I think for me, the ghetto, the, Walter's presence and his advice that he gives to Roy is what Roy chooses to share with Celestial as he's writing letters. So he's really trying to focus on not, he's trying to hide his true experience from Celestial. And that's what comes across, I think, as their relationship being a little bit more like, quote unquote, lighthearted. But you can see, like, in his tone and in some of his illusions that there's something really dark and sinister that he's really experiencing. And he's just trying to put on this front to 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 survive, to make it through. Um, and uh, so that's, for me, the I thought she did a nice job with using that as a way for Roy to hide his true feelings. Um, and it really spoke to his character of, like, okay, no, I mean, I was wrongfully incarcerated. My whole life is being set back. My marriage is on hold. My life is on hold. But I'm going to choose to focus on, like, the funny thing, quote, unquote, funny things that I experience in here and to stay strong. Um, but as he goes through prison and then after he's released, you can see him, his, the way he's been worn down and his, the cracks in, that he feels inside. Um, and I thought that was especially apparent um, when, this is jumping ahead a little bit, but especially apparent when he and Celestial meet again mm. in Atlanta. Um, but That's a good yeah, point. I guess. I buy that totally. <laughs> yeah, but um, before, I'd love to talk about that scene because wow, that, ooh, that gave me a lot to think about. And, um, but before we jump to like that re-meeting of Roy and Celestial, were there any other sort of like themes um, that you wanted to talk about? Um, let me think here. I think we'll want to talk about like gender roles and how the author mm-hmm. writes gender. Um, Cause I think mm-hmm. we had differing opinion on it, which is nice. I, th- I think we'll want to touch on that <laughs> a little bit later. Um, I guess we can maybe talk about who we empathized with. The the, the question that I was left asking myself um, was, what are we owed in life and what do we owe yeah. each other? Um, you mentioned it. Nobody's obviously in the wrong here. Um, mm-hmm. Should Celestial, you know, I touched on in the synopsis that Celestial really succeeds with her art and kind of goes places and should mm-hmm. she be denied that because Roy's life was put on hold by being wrongly incarcerated? No, of course she shouldn't. But does that mean mm-hmm. that I don't? But of course I relate to Roy's total resentment of her achieving everything that they talked about and dreamed together when he is stuck behind bars for, for doing nothing. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that question that you bring up of like what is owed to another person, like especially in a marriage and relationship, really does tie into that concept of gender roles as well. Um, and there's one quote that I found from the author that really, um, I really liked in relation to that theme of what what are we owed, um, like in a marriage and a and parenting. Um, and she says. 
this is the author speaking. There are so many novels by white women that involve women trying to break three, free of the bounds of tradition. But I realized that in the white woman's novels, the man is not in any trouble. So when she frees herself or changes the terms of her marriage or what have you, because the man isn't in trouble, you don't worry about him. So her freedom isn't tied to anyone else. But with the black situation, the man is in trouble. So that if you reprioritize where his safety is not the first thing or his care is not the first thing or the only thing on your list, there are consequences because he actually needs you. And that is what makes Celestial's situation so complicated. But it's also what makes it different from his other books. Um, so I, I noticed there was this theme that kept coming up of like um, old Roy fathers or old Roy says it a few times like there's only some things that a man can get from a woman and um it, that kind of theme comes up again and again like there's some things that a man can only get from his wife and he needs to be felt like he needs to be made to feel a, a man again um and I think that that came up like when Roy gets out he knows something's wrong with Celestial and he ends up going on a date in Louisiana and um, and having this romantic interlude with a, a woman he grew up with. And when he leaves, he's like, he I, I don't have the quote in front of me, but he says she that this woman, he was so grateful to her because she is what made him feel like a man again, not just like a guy who'd gotten out of prison. Um, and so there, there was, oh yeah, this is a, the quote actually. It was about me trying to remember how to be a human being, reminding me what it felt like to be a man and not just a N word just out of the joint. So there's this idea of, there's this extra element of not just like celestial and a wife and a woman trying to stand up for herself and and live her own life and continue to pursue her career, but um, this idea of like that the man in her life really needs her and he can't exist without her. Um, so I was really torn on that theme, and I think that's what the author was trying to explore as well. She made it, to me, she made it kind of kept coming back to this idea that like, the woman really does need to be there. Like she really is that missing element and the man can't be his true full self. He can't fully recover without her. Um, which yeah, it was a very different take on it than what I'm like from, from many perspectives uh, that I usually come across, but I don't know. Yeah. Can you expand more on like what your thoughts were on that question of being owed and, well, first, wow, I wish I had re read that quote um, by the author while I was reading the book. There's so much to chew on there, and um, she, she makes an excellent point that, yeah, it, we are used to, um, in like a lot of white feminist novels, the woman rising up and there being no consequences for the man because he's untouchable. Um, yeah. So there's a lot to chew on there. I need to, like, digest that <laughs> before I say anything but wow that like just knocked my socks off I'm so glad you shared that quote yeah. um to give you another second if you want there was another moment where I thought that really spoke to like 
this question of does Celestial have the right to pursue her career and be, you know, and to try to continue to live her life um, was from Walter (laughs) and he's trying to give Roy advice in prison about Celestial. He says, she is a black woman and everybody already thinks she got 50 and 11 babies with 50 and 11 daddies. She got welfare checks coming in 50 and 11 people's names. She got that already to deal with, but she got the white folks to believe that she got some kind of Houdini doll maker. And she even got thinking that's an actual job. She is working her hustle. You think she's supposed to get up there talking about her man is in the Husa? So this was after she had, she, Celestial's a doll maker, and she becomes a very well-known artist and, and goes on these really, really um, well-publicized sort of shows for her dolls. And Walter's point is that, like, she's not, yes, her, her success, she's still your wife, but she's not going to go up there and talk about you being and how her husband's in prison because it takes away from her image as an artist and her career. Um, and if she says her husband is in prison, that becomes her story. That becomes her persona. So her identity as an artist is swallowed up in that way. Um, so I thought that was an interesting piece of it, too. Yeah, and that goes back to, like, what are you owed as a husband? Like, do, are, do you owe your husband to share in that pain and have to give up some of your identity um, for that? So it just kind of all ties into, like, how does she have to suffer simply because her husband is suffering? And I think that's that's up in the air. It's unclear. But as yeah. far as gender roles in the book, I think mm-hmm. um, when you're saying, like, oh, it had to be a woman providing for a man, I think this book is very very personal and I think for Roy it had to be a woman I think Roy is a character that just loves women and I (laughs) I loved how he was written like that like the scenes when he's with um Davina who's the woman that he sleeps with when he gets out of prison and he um talks about how she put out this big spread of a meal for him and she pours him drink after drink and um, nurtures him and he really comments on like her curves and her soft thighs and and her femininity he really fawns over it you can see that Mm -hmm. he just loves the touch of a woman um both sexually and in in his life as far as making a home for him and preparing food for him and i Mm -hmm. think especially getting out of prison like a men's prison that's that's understandable so i didn't think i didn't feel at least like it was a comment um saying all men need a woman to play this role in their life Mm -hmm. um and i think in fact like his father big roy Um, there's kind of a nice scene between Roy and his father who raised him, Big Roy, where Roy, Mm -hmm. Big Roy puts together kind of like a struggle breakfast with like, you know, it's not that good or whatever. And Roy kind of asks him like, dad, why haven't you found a new woman to like help you with this, to help you get through life? 
and um, he's lost his wife, Olive, previously, and he kind of says, paraphrasing here, you know, if I can't have Olive, I'm just going to manage through by myself. So that kind of drew a parallel. Like, for Mm -hmm. um, Big Roy, it's not just any woman. It's this particular relationship with Olive that really meant something to him. But Roy kind of looks at him and sees, like, no, you need to be nurtured. You need the touch of a woman, (laughs) any woman. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that is, I I really loved, um, I really loved old Roy, too, actually, as a character, um, and his obvious sort of stability in, throughout the narrative, both as, like, a father to Roy, and it's playing a true, like, father figure role, and also in his example to every, it seemed like to all of the characters in the book, of what makes a good marriage, um, and that's what Celestial keeps coming back to in her great struggle um, with with her devotion or lack of devotion to Roy. Um, she keeps remembering this scene at Olive's funeral where old Roy stayed and he took the shovel and and filled in her grave and said, wouldn't let anyone help him and said, no, this is my job. And um, for her, that really... Yeah, she, there's this quote towards the end where she says, Big Roy showed me what real communion looked like, fresh earth and sadness. And that was really like, oh, like that really punched me in the gut a little bit was this um, this this really true devotion and and um, and love that Olive and old Roy had or Big Roy had for each other. Um, and I think that she keeps coming back to this idea of that she and Roy were too freshly married. They didn't have the time to really, um, to really get to know each other and dig in and create those roots before it was all ripped away from them. Um, but yeah, I just, I just loved the, like you were saying, the personal touches in this novel and how it really came back to, not some, not necessarily like an argument or um or yeah some, an argument that Jones was trying to stress as she wrote it it really came back to her creation of the characters and staying true to their voices um and yeah i think that's what made this book so special <laughs> for me yeah should we talk about the night that Roy and Celestio yes. reunite because I think that that was a really powerful scene for both of us. So, um, yeah. basically, Roy comes back and finds that Celestial has not changed the locks on her house, nor has she formally filed divorce papers. And he kind of takes that as an indication that um, the relationship is still open to him. And he and Celestial are going to spend the night together in the home that they shared before Roy went to prison. Do you want to take it from there? Yeah. So there's this really just the tension in that scene where she walks in to her home from work and, and Andre has left the home to try to go to Louisiana to get Roy. So there's this whole sort of song and dance going on with, with this cover up of like Roy actually going to Atlanta and he's in her kitchen in her home, um, and uh, maybe it was the dining room, she sees him, and she, it's so wrought with tension, because she is with Andre now, but Roy is also her husband, 
and they haven't talked consistently for I think years by that point because they had this sort of rift come between them and she I think predominantly stays silent as he approaches her and talks to her and touches her and it comes back to this idea of like she what does she owe him as a wife what does she owe him now that she's basically betrayed him by being in a relationship with Andre and um, yeah it was just such a powerful scene with just so many I had no idea what was going to happen I had no idea which way it was going to go and whether Celestial would make a choice to be with Roy and truly come back to him or whether she would stay with Andre and it sort of ends in this impasse where they are going to bed and she says to him like do you have protection? We need protection. And he is so wounded by this um, because, and this is a theme I saw come up a lot was like this idea of like having unprotected sex was a way to feel truly close to someone. And it wasn't necessarily related to procreation, but that seems to be a part of it as well. But um, I think Roy has unprotected sex with Davina and that's really important to him and it comes up in Roy and Celestial's marriage early on so when she says that it's a huge indicator to him that she's not really his wife anymore and um, he has this moment of fury where he almost considers um, forcing her to sleep with him um, and then there's, that was like, really, whoa, uh, there's this quote here, a micro moment. I thought about showing her that it wasn't up to her. Five years ago, I swore to a jury that I never violated any woman. I was never into beating anybody up, but I considered it last night for a flash of an instant. I think that's what prison did to me. It made me a person who would even entertain such a thought. So that was whew, really... <laughs> Yeah. Um, And this idea of, like, also on Celestial's side, this idea of, like, her silence wasn't consent either, but it wasn't, it was very gray, like, her whole reaction to the scene. She wasn't saying to him, like, yes, I'm glad to have you back. She, she was, she, there's a quote here, too, that when he starts kissing her, she sat as pliable as a doll. Um, so this whole scene was like, I need to go back and I think reread it like five more times because there was so much happening here, especially with um, the idea of like consent and um, yeah, this idea of like full circle, how being in the system and violence really changes a person. Um, so I don't know. What were your thoughts on the scene, Laura? <laughs> Yeah, it was absolutely hard to read for me um, because you just felt the heavy weight of obligation on Celestial's shoulders. And um, I also related to Roy in some ways. Obviously not when he says something like, I, uh, you know, one to, I considered showing her that it wasn't her choice, but mm-hmm. he feels so lonely and more than I think wanting the physical sex he wants to be validated um yeah that he's loved and still worthy and not um 
a man just out of the joint um, yeah. by by being physical with his wife. And so I understand the desire on his side as, as well. Um, it, it was absolutely painful. And for me, this scene is the climax of yeah. the novel. And it made yeah. the fight in the yard afterwards <sighs> feel really unnecessary and soap opera-y yeah. and just not as elegant as this scene. So I yeah. just make this scene the end of the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's definitely something else I wanted to talk to you about was because um, I thought she captured so much in this in this meet, re- reunion of, of sorts with Roy and Celestial and like just there was so much there and it was so good and then Andre comes back they there's this huge dramatic like over dramatic fight in the yard between Andre and Roy where basically like and there was not there, this was another part where I thought like the gender roles really got under my skin in a negative way because like it's they're both basically they're in the yard and they're like get back in the house celestial like you're this is men talking it's when men talk it's not a pretty kind of conversation and um and it's like she's totally left out of the triangle at this point even though she really is a big part of it so it just becomes this this battle and uh of violence and then everybody the men get it out of their system and then Roy leaves and oh he like hooks up with Davina he becomes religious turns out Andre and Celestial are having a baby together it was just like where did this ending come from (laughs) oh yeah it was very much like it was a soap opera and then it was tied on with a bow um and I remember being like wow that was such a this this I still loved the book but it was such a letdown after the entire rest of the novel was so good yeah I totally agree and it was so out of step and out of sync with the tone and content of the rest of the book that it really makes you wonder what the ending of the first draft of this book was (laughs) it's like was this an editor's note to make it more palatable for people I have no idea I I don't know and I think actually I read and I think I I don't think I saved the quote but I read that Jones really struggled with how she was going to end the book Um, like it took her a really long time and I she worked on this novel for six years so part of me wonders if she was just like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. And oh, the editor's like, all right, let's get this baby published. And now it's Oprah's Book Club, so yeah, we did a good job. But And she did. It's so good. But, like, her, she did not seem devoted to this ending. And her, like, passion and, like, her just beautiful writing didn't come across either. It was very flat, and I don't think the character's came across at all um, in the way that she had really deeply and, and detailedly drawn them. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah, no, I totally agree with everything that you're saying, but I think that there's enough good in this book and enough that really made me like deeply, deeply feel Yeah, in, in a way that a lot of other books I've read have not. It's my first five-star read of 2018. I like it more nice. than any of the other books that we've discussed on this podcast so far. Like, 
I yeah. loved this book. I thought it was really great. So how about you? Final thoughts, recommendation? Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly recommend this book. And um, it's absolutely, regardless, like you said, like you can kind of choose to disregard the ending if you want to. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that was really my only, like, the only, um, I think, structural flaw. Like, I I really enjoyed this read. I think it it gave the reader a lot of takeaways. It gives you a lot to chew on. Like, there's so many allusions to also to black music and culture um, and and just there's the characters are so, so beautifully written and um, and their voices come across so well. And they really I felt like I was really gating a lens into um into lives that made me think about my own life and uh yeah I don't know it was a very enriching read as well as like enjoyable to to get through for me yeah yeah I think if you are one of those weird snobs who is scared away by the Oprah's book club label <laughs> first yeah. that's yeah. probably a result of sexism so check <laughs> on that but to this this novel is as good and as important as anything I've read this year, last year by Ta-Nehisi Coates, by any any author that's writing about race who's who's very um, critically acclaimed and regarded. This book is great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, um, wholeheartedly agree. Yay! <laughs> great. Um, well, just. To be honest, I didn't have, I didn't think of any recommendations if you liked this. Um, did you? The only one that came into immediate mind was another book that we've covered on this podcast. Um, it's YA, so the tone's very different, but The Hate You Give, I think, um, mm -hmm. really takes the epidemic of police violence against black men and makes it extremely personal and explores what, how that actually impacts like one individual's life and this did the same thing for um you know the unfairness of our prison system and um assumptions that juries might come to um that lead to wrongful convictions yeah and i think too that actually is the closest i i could come to as well and i think it was also just like both the authors were so true to the voices of their characters and um, did such a great job not only portraying like their main characters but the secondary characters as well and that made the story come across as so um, so much more with so much strength. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, great. Thank you so much for talking to me about this today, Maddie, and thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon. Thanks, everybody. Thanks.